Our gospel reading is a continuation of last week's reading. Now recall that so far, we saw the apostles utterly overwhelmed with the demands of discipleship. Earlier, Jesus told the story of a rich man who allowed his vast wealth to blind him to the suffering of a poor man lying at his gate. And the rich man suffered the torments of hell because he not only ignored the suffering of humanity of the beggar, but in doing so, he denied his own humanity. Unrepentant resistance to grace will always separate one from one's true self, from others, and ultimately from God. Next, the Lord warned the disciple against creating scandal in his church and the fate of those by whom scandal comes. The apostles overwhelmed by all of Jesus' expectations of them, and realizing their utter helplessness in meeting those expectations, did what? They begged the Lord to increase their what? Faith. Good, you remembered. This is always the beginning of wisdom. Why? Faith is a gift from God, and it is offered to all. Man has no ability to create or to generate faith. He has only the capacity to receive faith and respond to faith, choosing to enter more deeply into faith, be guided by faith, or abandon and completely lose faith. It is the responsibility of each person to develop the gift of faith or allow it to waste away. That is the glory and, at the same time, the terrible burden of being human. Then the Lord told them, When you have done all that you have been commanded, say, We are unprofitable servants. We have done what we were obliged to do. This is the mindset that prevents the disciple from falling into the trap our fallen nature constantly sets in our path to think of ourselves as better than others more important than others, or that somehow we have become the center of the universe with the destructive expectation that we ought to be treated as such. To drive home the point of what it is to be a servant, the gospel tells us Jesus continued his journey to where? All those who heard the gospel this evening, raise your hands. Jerusalem. This is why Christianity is so horribly weak in our culture, and the culture is swamping Christianity instead of Christianity informing the culture. He's heading for Jerusalem. But what does that mean? As the true servant of God and of mankind, Jesus will go to the cross in obedience to the will of his Father. The Son of God will pour out his life to save us from death. Now, did the apostles understand all that at the time? No. The real question, however, is this. Do we understand it now? The gospel text tells us that while journeying to Jerusalem, 
the Lord and the disciples encountered 10 lepers. Obeying the biblical restriction to keep their distance from others, the lepers stood at a distance and they shouted, Jesus, Master, major title, have pity on us. Now, who were these people? At an obvious level, they were ancient victims of a horrible disease called leprosy, or technically Hansen's disease, a terrible bacterial infection that destroys the skin, nerves, blood vessels, and even internal organs, often leading to a slow, disfiguring, and painful death. But at a level that transcends time, the ten lepers represent all human beings. We all carry in us the infectious agents of this world that eat away at our relationships with others, that debilitate our true selves, and numb our relationship with God, creating a deep and terrifying void that we try to fill with stuff, with material things, with wealth, like the rich man in Jesus' story, or in some cases, with booze, drugs, shallow friendships, hobbies, sex, whatever it takes to keep the emptiness at bay, if even for just a moment. We may try to escape the emptiness by compulsively working trying to convince ourselves and others that what we do is just so important, it's utterly essential, it is as if the world couldn't possibly function without us. Ever meet somebody like that? In the end, however, the illusion succeeds only in fueling the emptiness because we forget that what we do is nowhere as important as who we are. Cemeteries are filled with the bones of those who lived in this world as if they were so important, so essential, so critical, so unique, but they were replaced in a matter of days. Sooner or later, if we allow ourselves to obey our better instincts, we come to the realization that that dark void, that emptiness can never be filled by anyone, anything, or any activity in this world, but only with the divine love that we were created for and designed to receive. And then wisdom compels us to cry out as the lepers did, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. And he will. Of the ten lepers, nine were Jews and one was what? Now normally, Jews and Samaritans detested each other. By the way, they still do. And they would never associate with one another. That they were together reveals that their mutual suffering and hope in Jesus became more powerful than their ethnic bigotries. Jesus, the divine mercy, instructed them to show themselves to the priests in accordance with the law of Moses, which was rather odd 
Because Jesus knew the Samaritan could never do that. He couldn't go to the Jewish priests. And all were healed as they left. But who returned to give thanks? Samaritan. Why? In returning to Jesus, in giving him thanks, in glorifying God, and falling to Jesus' feet, which, by the way, is the posture of worship. The Samaritan, the non-Jew, grasped what the Jewish lepers did not grasp. Jesus is the priest they should have shown themselves to. Tell me, what is the one essential action that separates a priest from all other ministers? Sacrifice. The priest alone offers sacrifice. I had a Baptist minister by saying, you know, we all do the same thing. We preach and we teach and we do weddings and funerals and baptism. Blah, blah, blah. He said, yeah, but I do something you don't do. He said, what's that? The sacrifice of the mass. To offer bread and wine to become the body and blood, the soul and divinity of Jesus Christ. Do you do that? Jesus, the supreme high priest, would be both the victim of the sacrifice and the one who offers the sacrifice. Now, did the Samaritan really understand any of that when he fell at the feet of Jesus to worship and give thanks? No. Did the apostles understand any of that as they witnessed that bizarre event full, behold, before their very eyes? No. Again, however, the real question is, do we understand that? Do we understand that when we come here to offer worship and thanksgiving for that supreme sacrifice of love that alone can fill the void, the terrifying emptiness of our lives created by our fallen nature, that what a marvelous grace it is? Do we see that in every Eucharist, every Mass, every divine liturgy, Jesus comes to us to fill us, to restore us? If we don't see it, why? Why? 